And it reads, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in on oil and wine. Then he sat him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of those three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who show, showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You may have your seat. Pastor Tom, come. Good morning and happy new year. Well, I thought the Tennessee Vol fans would be more excited than that. I mean, y'all got a big win, and that, that's all we get is a barely a uh, happy new year. And if you're a Georgia fan, you better have a happy new year after that. That was a miracle yesterday. Uh, well, before we start, I want to draw your attention to uh, one thing in the back. As you leave this morning, you'll see these uh, small uh, journals. This is a journal through the first uh, the first uh, letter of John, the second letter of John, and the third letter of John. We're going to study all three of those books now until probably middle of the summer. So grab this on your way out. This is a free gift from me to you. Uh, I know many of you don't like to mark in your Bible, so I said I'll get them a Bible they can mark in. Uh, so this is for you to take as many notes. Uh, we'll start that in two weeks. Next week, Brother Joshua will be uh, teaching and preaching to us. I'll be here. I just have to catch a flight right after service. So if he starts going long, you'll see me head out because I've got a two o'clock flight uh, to uh, Dallas just for 24 hours. So Brother Joshua will be here teaching us and then we'll come back and we'll start uh, first the book of First John. The first, if, if you have a chance over the next two weeks, I would just implore you uh, begin to read uh, that little letter. That little letter is in essence these two things is what you're going to see. It is what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, as, as a way to segue into that book. It, it really is, how do we love God? How do we, as the people of God, fall in love with God that it would so much change who we are that it will begin to change what we do? And what John is going to get at, if you love God, 
then you will love one another. Like, it's not if you love God, then you might love. If you love God, then it is going to, it is going to change how you love your neighbor. But I don't want to talk about your neighbor in this series. I want to talk about who's sitting next to you in the pew in this series. Because John will have said this in John chapter 13. By the way that you love one another, the world will know that you're my disciple. So it really start in this building. How do we love each other as we love God so we can take the greatest message ever told to us, the gospel, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our own homes. So my challenge to you through 1 John will be, do we love God and is that moving us to love one another? Now I'm going to look at the passage that it all kind of stems from because it is the greatest commandment. We're going to look at that passage here in a very familiar passage to you. It's in Luke, what Brother Joshua just read to us. But if you were with us last week on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, we looked at these two questions. These two questions were, this is the the two greatest questions that you can answer. Who is Jesus and what has he done for you? Who is Jesus and what has he done for you? Because then this morning we're going to look at now the greatest question that you can ask. So there's the greatest questions that's been asked of you. But now it's how you will then play out that question to ask the question to your Savior. And it's what the the, the lawyer said in the text. But this is the question that you're going to have to answer and ask. So ask the question this morning. My hope is that you'll be able to answer this question when you leave here this morning. The question is this. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's the greatest question a human can ask. Because everything hinges on your eternity, on that question. You see, it's in all of us. The the writer of Ecclesiastes says this, Solomon says this in in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has written on your heart eternity. So in every human being, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus, there's something in your heart that longs and knows you're meant for something more than this which is called eternity. So we got to know, how do I have eternal life? If it's written on me to have eternal life, well then how do I get to that place of eternal life? You you see, all of us are are eternal beings. But the question will be, do you want to have eternal life or eternal death? Because this is a literal life and death question. You will spend the rest of your eternity somewhere. Either in the glory and the renown and what we just sang, the worthiness of God. Or you'll spend it apart from him forever and ever and ever and ever. Depending on how you are able to first ask this question. How do I have this eternal life that is written on the pages of scripture? So are you asking that question this morning? And now Jesus is going to show us the answer to the question. So let's look at the text this morning. We're going to look first 
those first few verses, verses 25 through 28. Let me read that again to you, and then we're going to go into the, the, the sermon or the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember, most of us come to this text of the Good Samaritan thinking it's about how we love our neighbor. That's not the, that's not the primary reason for the text. The, the primary reason for this text is not how we love our neighbor. Like if we just go love our neighbor, we're, we're all right. No, the primary reason for this text is to know how you have eternal life. This is a salvation message, not a go and do message. And so we come and we just look at the text from a, a simple, what must I go do? Then we'll miss the entirety of the text. Jesus is showing us by the Good Samaritan what it looks like to have eternal life. So I, I believe so many pastors misteach the passage. Now, again, I'm not saying the secondary part of the passage isn't to go love your neighbor. That, that is true. It's just not the primary essence of the text. So let's look at the primary essence of the text in this passage about the Good Samaritan. This is what Jesus is saying. He's in this crowd, and this lawyer stands up to Jesus. He says, and behold, a lawyer... A lawyer would have been someone that knew the law. It, it, this isn't a lawyer like you and I think of a lawyer. This is someone that knew God's word inside and out and were holding people to the law. So he would have known the law of God. So he asks this question to Jesus. He stands up in front of these other people and he does this to put him to the test. To see how well Jesus knew the law. Don't forget who Jesus was. He was the lawgiver. He knew the law. He was the law. No, 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 don't ever try to test Jesus. You will fail every time. Like he will, he's the ultimate Jesus Jew because he is Jesus. He, he will know how to answer every question if you put him to the test. So I'd ask you, have you ever tried to put Jesus to the test? I'll do this if you do this. You do that, I do that. Jesus is like, okay, you want to play that game, I win. I've got the ultimate trump card because I'm the lawgiver. I direct all things. I'm in control of all things. So Jesus stands there and receives the question, Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Now, the key word in that passage is do. Because here's the lawyer thinking, i got to go do something to achieve something. And Jesus is going to show you, you don't have to do anything to receive eternal life. It has to be in you. That's what he's going to say. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? Hey, lawyer. What does the law say you have to do? Don't ask me what I have to do. Why don't you ask yourself what you have to do? What does your law say you have to do? And then he says this question. How do you read the law? Like you know the law, but how do you read the law?
And then he answers in verse 27. This is the lawyer again. He answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Here the lawyer is quoting two things from the law. He's not coming up with a new law. He's quoting the law. Remember, Jesus would have said this later in the past, later on in Matthew 22. He would have said, this is the greatest commandment. Jesus himself answers the question the way the lawyer answers the question. It's called the Shema and Exodus 19. The, the two greatest laws in all of the Old Testament are this. In Deuteronomy 6, it says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what? In Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. And all of the Old Testament holds on these two things. One is not greater than the other. They hold hands with each other. One begets the other. And so the lawyer answers the question correctly. It's not that the lawyer has a, a false information. He's got the right information. But now Jesus does something masterful here. He exposes the heart of the man who answers the question rightly. How many of us in this room can answer the question rightly with our brains, but our hearts are as far away from where our brains ought to be? That's what happens with a lawyer. His heart is way off beat, but his mind is so sound. And I wonder for us this morning, church, as we head into this new year, how many of us have sound minds and wicked hearts? Sound minds and wicked hearts. And then Jesus exposes him and says, he said to him, you have answered correctly. Now go and do likewise. Go do what you just answered. How many of us know the right things to do, but our actions don't show what we know to be right? That's what is happening here. How often our hearts are so far from the truth. It's what John, Jesus says in John 5. In, Jesus, in John chapter 5, Jesus says this. He's talking to the Jewish people who would have known the law. They would have been God's chosen people. But he says this to them in John chapter 5. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That this is Jesus. He's saying, you search the scriptures thinking in them and them alone you have eternal life. And how many of us search the scriptures thinking this holds eternal life? But then Jesus says this as he comes to the end of that passage. He says, and it is they, the scriptures, that what? Bear witness about me. If you come to the scriptures alone and you're not seeking Christ through the scriptures, you are just reading another book. This word that God has given to us is to help us to love him with all of our heart soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
So the question for you, the question for me, the question for our church this morning is, are we just simply studying the scriptures for our brains? There's a lot of brilliant people that know God's word, but they are lost as lost can be. Because they're studying the God's word for their brains and not for their hearts, not for true transformation. God doesn't say to Ezekiel and Ezekiel, hey, I've come to give you a new brain. I've come to take your brain of stone out of you and put a flesh of brain in you. No, he says, I've come to remove your heart of stone and to give you a heart of flesh. So the question you have to ask, the question I have to ask in regards to do I have eternal life, do I have a new heart or just simply a new brain? He goes on to say to him, to trick him again. But I would want to submit this to you this morning as what Paul says in Romans two different ways. He says, whoever boasts in the law dishonors God. I I could come to God's word and simply boast in God's word and dishonor him because my heart is not changed. He says you dishonor God by breaking the law because you boast in the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemy among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision, he's talking about the heart, not the flesh, not true circumcision, talking about heart circumcision, is indeed is a value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcised. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will he his circumcision be regarded as circumcision? Question mark, not a period. Then who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who has the written code or God's word on you and circumcised by breaking the law. He's saying you can't do both. The law has to change you. Now we need the law. Remember I said this last week. You need the law because the law is what shows us our sin. But if I only choose the law to boast in the law, but I don't allow God's word to reveal sin in my life to lead me to repentance, then I'm boasting in the law. I'm not actually living in repentance because of the law. He says this in closing in verse 29, Paul does, of that passage. But a Jew is outwardly, is one inwardly and circumcised as a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So you have to ask the question, have you had a renewal of the heart, not just a renewal of the mind? And now Jesus, once he says to that young lawyer, do this and you will live, we see now where the lawyer's heart was always in the question. He wasn't really asking a question. He was doing it to trap Jesus. Because now after he says, hey, now you've got to go do something about what you've just asked and you've answered rightly, then the lawyer begins to backpedal. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know if I want to do all that. 
Now, I'm adding that to the text, but that we see that in the text because the next word is this. But he, the lawyer, wanted to what? He desired to justify himself. How many of us in this building often want to justify ourselves? To make ourselves right before God. Like if I can just justify myself before a holy God, then I'll be okay. That's why he says, what do I have to do? And now he's trying to do the justification. You cannot justify yourself. You need justification from Christ and Christ alone. And now Jesus is going to say, if you're truly justified, then something in your life is going to look different. That's what the essence of this text is. Because this man wants justification. He knows he needs justification. He desires justification, but he thinks he can achieve justification on his own. Justification is being made right before God. So we could then come to the text and think, if I just do these works, then I'm justified before God. No, I said this in the book of James. Your works will show that you are justified. Your works do not justify you. He says he desires to justify himself. And he asks Jesus, hey, then who is my neighbor? Who do I have to do this to and for? And then Jesus, being Jesus, has so much compassion for this man. But he speaks directly to the man's heart, not to the man's brain. And he uses three different people in the text. And I'll read that text again. Jesus replied, there was a man, a Jewish man, you've got to catch that in the text, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, about a 17-mile journey, walking. And he fell amongst robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. So now we see this man on the side of the road, half beaten, about ready to die. And then Jesus says there's these two guys that come upon the scene first. He said, now by chance, we know there's no such thing as chance, it's by God's providence. A priest was going down that same road when he saw him The priest would have been a man that knew God's law. He would have known that he must obey God's law. He knew he must keep God's law. He would have known that the law of God said to love your neighbor as yourself. He would have known that God said, I must be called into action to do something about what I see. But then we see the prejudice of this man. We see later on the text that this is a Samaritan man. A Samaritan and Jews, they hated each other. They they didn't deal kindly with one another. We see that in John chapter 4, that oftentimes the Jewish people would veer all the way around Samaria not to have to go through Samaria because they hated it that much. They hated those people that much. They were an enemy of the Jewish people. So this priest saw what he saw, and he moved around them, and kept going. He passed by him on the other side. So likewise, the next man to come upon the scene was a Levite. A Levite would have been an assistant to the priest. He would have known the law, the same deal that the priest knew. He would have known he had to be called into action. But he chose not to the same way that the priest did. He went 
and pass by on the other side. I would ask us this morning, how often do we pass by those people that we see? I'm not talking about the panhandlers on every single exit between here and Nashville and back. I'm talking about the, the, the people that you see and you know God has pricked your heart to do something and you don't do what God's told you to do. That's called disobedience. How many of us see with our eyes but aren't motivated with our hearts? You see, that's what was happening with the priest and the Levite. They saw with their eyes but their hearts were so wicked, they didn't do anything about what they saw. And they passed by the other side. How many of us, on a daily basis, pass by people on the other side? Now, I'm talking about eternal salvation passing by on the other side. I'm not talking just about the physical need of some man. I'm talking about we see with our eyes people that are lost as lost can be, and we think, not, not me, somebody else will do it. Now, I'm not going out of my way for that guy. I'm too scared. I'm too timid. Or I'm not the pastor. The thousand and one excuses that we see with our eyes the eternity of a man and pass by on the other side. Or simply, they don't look like us. They don't talk like us. They don't fit the profile that we would want to go minister to. Well, I'll tell you this, we didn't fit the profile either. We were enemies of God. God could have passed by on the other side. But he chose one word, and he tells us what that one word is. It's called love. We are to love people. You see, that's what the text is all about. Remember what the text says. The text says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart mind, soul, and strength, and, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself, that you can just apply the word love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Everything about this passage hinges on how I love God and love other people. The motivation for everything that we do has to be motivated in love. Like mind, the mind is not motivated by love. The heart is motivated by love. And this is what Jesus said. We're going to look at this in its entirety, in 1 John, because the book of 1 John is all about loving God and loving other people. John says it this way. In 1 John chapter 3, he says this, for this is the message that you heard from the very start, the very beginning. Like this wasn't midway through the course. This was like 101, college class 101, class one in the syllabus you sit down he says the first thing that you heard was this from the very start the very get-go of your salvation was this for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning what is the message that you are to love one another he says it later just a few verses later in chapter 3 verse 18 little children let us not love in word or talk, but what? In deed and in truth. If our love is only through our words and not through our deeds, we have no love at all. Because Jesus himself didn't just love us, he showed us what love looked like by giving himself to us. He did it in deed. He did it in action. You see, Jesus could have come into the world and saved all of us without a deed. You, you do know that, right? 
Like, he's got that kind of power. He didn't have to go to the cross. Like, he is the God of the universe. He's in control of all things. But he said, let me show you what love really looks like. I'll die for you. I'm going to put it into action for you. Later on in 1 John chapter 4, 7, it says this. Beloved, let us, what? Love one another. How come? For love comes from who? God. And whoever love has been what? Been born of God. John is saying to us again, the way you love people will show your salvation. Because if you love people, then you're born of God. If you have no love, you've not been born of God. Later on in that same chapter, in chapter 4, verse 11, he says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we what? We ought to love one another. Jesus himself, see, see we can say, well, man, now, now we just got to love each other. We just love believers and we're good. If we just love those who we want to love, we're going we're gonna to be okay. But Jesus says, no, let me take it a step further. Matthew chapter 5, he says this, but I say to you, love who? Your enemies. Love those who you don't want to love. Love those who don't love you. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Later on, Jesus in Luke chapter 6 will say this, but love your enemies and do good and lend and expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Do we love our enemies? Paul finished his great letter to the Corinthians. Now, the Corinthian church was a wicked church. Like, like why people ever named their church First Baptist of Corinth, I have no idea. Like, that, like that's not like a title you want to have. Like, the Corinthian church was a wicked, wicked church. They were doing wicked, wicked things. And Paul wrote this letter to them to rebuke them, to draw them back to the gospel, to draw them to repentance. And listen to the last words that Paul has to say in that first letter to the Corinthian church. After all the rebuke he has, he says this, let all that you do be done in love. I think love is a big deal. And so now Jesus shows us what love is going to look like. With the last person in the text in verse 33 what a samaritan one that would have been hated by jews and one that would have hated jews he journeyed and came and saw when he saw him he had compassion so now we see this same man journeying the same road that this jewish man had fallen amongst the robbers he was beaten, half left dead. And this man who, of all intents and purposes, should have, would have, could have passed by the other side and it would have been a-okay. But something stirred in the heart of this man, not the mind of this man. Look at these three things that we see this man do. But a Samaritan, this is verse 33. As he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. 
The, the first one is this. He saw something. My question to you this morning is, how many people daily do you see that are far from the Lord? You see, you have to have eyes to see first. But here's the gift from God. God gave us all spiritual eyes, if you're a believer, to see things the way that he sees things and to see people the way he sees things. Even this morning in our deacons meeting, one of our deacons came because he sees the need of one of his family members that's far from Christ. So I would ask you this morning, who is God putting in front of you that you see daily? that are far from him. If you see nobody, then the first question I'd, I'd ask and plead with you, then are you crying out to God to give you eyes to see the lost? Because God cares about the lost so much that he sent his only son. Don't you think he want to use his own people to see the lost? So if you don't see lost people, ask God, the God that wants to save those lost people to give you eyes to see the lost people. And he'll grant that to you. So that's the first thing. Who do you see daily? The second is this. He was then what? Moved with compassion. That, that word means he was moved with anger. Compassion, with passion. The, the word passion is where you get the understanding. Uh, he's moved in the action. How many of us see, but we lack compassion for what we see? So I'd say this, do you have eyes to see, but you aren't responding to what you see? If that's true of you, then ask the God that is the God of compassion to give you compassion to be compelled to move forward to someone that's as lost as lost can be. Do you and am I and is this church move with compassion? And then it says this. Not only did he see, not only did he have compassion, but he did something about what he saw and had compassion for. He responded. Right? It says this. And he went to him and bound him up. You see, it's one thing to see. There's one thing to have compassion. You can have both of those and still not be obedient. You see, seeing what you see, having compassion for what you see, and sitting in your couch is still disobedient. Our compassion and what we see must move us into action. And he was moved into action. Here's what we see in the text. He's moved to action. And he went to him and bound him up in his wounds and poured oil on him. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. You see, love that we, when we see and we have compassion and we're moved into something, love will always cost you something. Love is costly. 
You, you see, many scholars believe that this man took all of his outer robe and tore it into rags. He didn't, it wasn't like he had a, a, a kit like we have, a, a first aid kit. They didn't have those back in the day. So what he saw was he's like, I see a man that needs to be bound up. And he looked at himself and says, what is it going to cost me to bind and heal this man's wounds? And he tore his outer garment and bound him. And then he took the little bit of oil he had and poured oil onto it. Oil was costly back in the day. You see, love will always cost you something. If love costs Christ his own life, do not think and do not believe that your love for someone else won't be as costly as that. And I promise this, you giving a little bit of money, you giving a little bit of clothes, isn't nearly as costly as giving your life. You see, not only is love costly, but love will cost you time. Loving someone isn't easy and it's not quick. And the last thing that we see in this is love takes a long time. He said, hey, whatever continues to happen with this man, put it on my dime. Like it, love isn't coming in, swooping in, making corrections and swooping out. Love is saying, I'll be constant with this person. I would ask us this, how much of our resources our time, our energy, our efforts, how much of your love is costing you something? And then Jesus, after telling that parable, says this. He asks the question again. Which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to the one who fell among the robbers? We still see the heart of the man in verse 37. That lawyer said this. The one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. Like this man, after hearing that story, still wasn't changed. One of my greatest fears of preaching is this. That I'll stir your minds with God's truth. But apart from the Holy Spirit stirring your hearts, you won't be changed. Will you be changed by the word of God, not by my words, through the Holy Spirit this morning? Because if your words, if my words simply stir your mind and don't stir your heart, you won't do what Jesus says at the end of the text. Then Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You see, if simply your mind and my mind and the Heart, the mind of this heart hears God's word, but it doesn't stir us to do something about it, then we won't go and do likewise. And so this year, as we come in the beginning of 2023, my challenge to us is, will we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? It starts there. Do you really love God? Do I, your pastor, really love God? Not just do I know God, not just do I think do I love him, but is my heart changed because of what I know love is? And does that love motivate me to go do something, to go love other people?
Will this year for us be the year of love? Loving God and loving other people. May we go and do likewise. Let me pray for us this morning.